At the start of the dinner, all the guests are sort of picking the place of honor. They're scrambling to sit next to the celebs at the dinner. I, I don't know if you felt ever felt like this. I felt once like a, a celeb at a dinner, and it was when I was in Malaysia. And there were all these people sort of scrabbling to sit next to me. All these Malaysian students wanted to sit next to me. And eventually, they sat next to me. And uh, uh, the, you know, one the ones that felt most excited, they sat right next to me. I was sort of the guest of honor. And um, one turned to me. And it was, you know, it's the feeling of adulation, importance, prestige. I felt really great. One turned to me and said, you, Prince William? I went, uh, no. <laughs> no. No, I'm not. <laughs> then the one on the other side, you, Bill Clinton? No. No. <laughs> um, But as Jesus, as he watches the scrabble for the best seats, uh, he interrupts the sort of polite Clapham dinner party kind of situation to tell them a parable. And it's not very subtle, is it? This is the first thing Jesus is saying to them back then and to us today. He's saying, be a humble guest. Be a humble guest. If there's a wedding feast, he's saying in that first paragraph, don't take the place of honor. Don't sit on the top table because then you'll be humiliated when you get asked to move off the top table. No, he says, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place because then you'll be honored rather than humiliated when you get asked to move to a better seat. And I see it time and again, actually, at weddings. Not so much at the reception, but actually in the wedding service. So you know how it always is. We know the etiquette for the wedding service. You come in, bride or groom, uh, and there we have them. We have the bride this side. We have the groom that side. Uh, And then everyone chooses a pew as to sort of how far forward they're going to sit, depending on how close they are, how close their friendship is uh, with the happy couple. And... uh, Occasionally you see people and they sit a little bit too far forward. It's the pew that's been reserved for all the aunts and uncles or whatever, and they've got to do the, the walk of shame back to the back pew because they sat a little too far forward. Far better when you come in to maybe take a pew a few, a few rows back than you think you really deserve. A few rows back, and then the, the usher sort of says to you, why don't you move forward? And you feel great as you sort of get, get moved forwards. Verse 11, I think, sums up Jesus' point best. At the end of the first paragraph, he says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So be a humble guest. Second, he says, be a hospitable host. Be a hospitable host. Have a look again at verse 12, the second paragraph. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon uh, or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, the first thing uh, to say on this bit is Jesus is obviously not saying never, ever invite your friends or your family around your home. He's not saying that, okay? I mean, can you imagine? Someone, maybe they move to London. uh, They decide to to come to uh, HTC and do the Alpha course. Uh, They do the Alpha course. They come on the Alpha day. uh, They amazingly put their trust in Jesus. They become a Christian. That happened. um, uh, last weekend, we had our Alpha Day. Um, eight people put their hands up saying they're giving their life to Christ. It was so exciting. But imagine one of those people, maybe someone here today who's one of those eight. Maybe they come here today, they hear this Bible passage, and they think, right, phone up mum and dad. Uh, mum and dad, oh, it's amazing news. I've become a Christian. I'm afraid there's, there's one catch, though. I can't ever invite you around to my house ever again. I mean, that's going to be a bit awkward, isn't it? That's not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that. One of the first Bible lessons in terms of Bible interpretation is let the Bible interpret the Bible. And there are other places in Scripture where we are encouraged to look out for our family and friends. And Jesus here is, if you like, using a common rhetorical device to highlight the right preferences that we should show. And what Jesus is saying to us here is we should prefer to invite people into our homes that can't pay us back. We should prefer to invite people in 
who are not going to be able to repay us rather than the ones who can. I don't know if you've ever spotted, there are two groups of people in life. There are those who envy other people's homes, and there are those who are lying. Okay, everybody envies other people's homes. Whether we are currently sofa surfing, or whether we live in some sort of six-bedroom townhouse, deluxe Clapham townhouse, we all have home envy. We always see other people's homes are a little bit nicer, got what we would love to have. But we all know that homes should be a place of shelter and food and warmth, and security, and nourishment, and safety. That's one of the reasons why there has been such an overwhelming response to the awful tragedy of the Grenfell Tower. Because even where people have been rescued from the flames, they now have no home to live in. And so us being hospitable hosts... It is about welcoming people into our home, and particularly strangers, particularly those who cannot repay us. You know, the Greek word for hospitality, the original New Testament Greek of the Bible, um, it, it, the original word for, Greek, uh, for hospitality is philoxenia. Philoxenia, it means love of strangers. Hospitality, it is love of strangers. As Christians, we are to show philoxenia, love of strangers. And as you look through the Bible, that seems to be particularly three groups of people. First of all, other Christians. So brothers and sisters in Christ, some of whom will be very different from us in terms of age or in terms of background, uh, but who are our spiritual family. We wouldn't know them. We wouldn't relate to them were they not a Christian. Nothing else in common but being a Christian. That's the first group, other Christians. Second group, neighbors, those that we live near, those that we work near. And, you know, the picnic today after the service, it is a great example of being hospitable with our neighbors, those who live near us. And then the third group is the poor and the needy. And those who survived the fire, they're most certainly an example of the needy that are known to us at this time. And all of those people, they, they, may, they may not be the people that we might naturally eat with that we might naturally socialize with. They may not be the people that we agree with on every matter. But then Jesus, often he was accused of eating with the wrong kind of people, wasn't he? And you know, we'll be surprised because sometimes as we show hospitality to neighbors, uh, sorry, to strangers, as we show hospitality to strangers, some of them will become our friends and some of them will become not just friends of ours, but friends with God. There's a family that have recently joined this church Uh, They had a background uh, in Christianity and a background in the Christian faith and church going, but that had rather evaporated in the last few years. And, you know, they've started coming to this church recently because they moved to Clapham nine months ago, and there were complications for them in various ways. There, There were visa difficulties for the husband. The wife was heavenly pregnant. There were extended family complications. And someone from HTC, who was a near neighbor of theirs, looked out for them from the day they moved. They looked out for them in all sorts of ways and showed hospitality to them. And through the simple hospitality and simple friendship, this family, they started coming to HTC. They got right back into church life here, met many new friends, and most importantly, got back on track in their relationship with Jesus. That is being a hospitable host. 
welcoming people into our homes, especially by loving strangers and by God's grace seeing some people become friends, friends not just with us but even with God. So can I give us all a few practical encouragements? Here are a few practical encouragements to take on board. Number one, start inviting your neighbors and colleagues into your homes. Very simple. Start inviting your neighbors and your colleagues into your homes. It may be for some that might extend even to inviting them along to church. Start inviting each other into our homes. And in general, those of us with more space doing it more. You know, it's sometimes difficult for someone in their 20s maybe sharing a flat with four other people to invite loads of people around. But still, even if we've got a small space, invite them around. doesn't matter. People love to be invited around to our homes. And, and not just inviting people like us, but inviting people different from us. Uh, we were at a, um, a part of a supper party the other day, and one of the guests said afterwards, it felt like an evening of the reality TV show Big Brother, because uh, there were all these sort of wide variety of people just thrown together uh, in this supper party, and that is great. It was an HTC supper party. May HTC supper parties be characterized by being like Big Brother? Uh, not in all senses, probably, but, but at least, you know, a bit more clothes maybe, but a bit more decorum, but, but just throwing all sorts of different people together. Why not if you... If, why can't you host a connect group? Maybe you could offer to host a connect group. Do corporate hospitality, not just individual hospitality. If you're not yet on a hosting team for this service, if this is the service you generally come to, if you're not on the hosting team, we'd love you to be on the hosting team. Why not just fill out your, your email and, and write that you'd like to be part of a hosting team and pop it in there. Help be hospitable to the poor. Speak to Diane and uh, help through all the community mission stuff we do. Even just when we share the peace, like we just did 10 minutes ago. Actually mean it when we share the peace. And as we share the peace, look out for people that you don't know to share the peace with, particularly those who don't seem to know many other people. Be hospitable in how we do life. I had an email from someone this week, which is one of the worst kind of emails to receive as a vicar. Um, it was from a mother writing to me about her daughter in her 20s, and this is what she said. She says, as I'm sure you understand, just to walk through the doors of a new place is hard enough. But I was sad to hear that no one approached my daughter or introduced themselves to her this week when she came to HTC for the first time. And so she went home without prayer or consolation. Anyway, she said that she will try to go again next week, and I'll be praying she does. But I wondered if your welcome team could be praying for her and looking out, especially for her. Indeed, I'm sure that there'll be many who pass through your doors seeking help and fellowship. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if I never, ever received one of those emails again. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? I've received a few. You do get them fairly regularly. Wouldn't it be amazing if I never received one of those again? Above all, we who are Christians should be more given to radical hospitality than others because God is a radically hospitable God. God invites all sorts of people in, and we want to be like him. We are to do for others what Jesus Christ has done for us, radical hospitality. You see, point three, Jesus is, if you like, he is the ultimate hospitable host. In, in verse 15, halfway down, one of the guests tries to sort of say something to, to stop the conversation being quite so awkward. So Jesus has been doing all this awkward conversation, challenging people, being so embarrassing. So they try to sort of get the conversation back on track. But Jesus just continues with yet another parable. And this time giving some uncomfortable realities, not so much about earthly banquets, but about the heavenly banquet. 
And his next parable, it starts off fine. He talks about this invitation to the heavenly banquet. In verse 17, you'll see he says, come, for everything is now ready. It sounds great. But then the parable begins to get a bit warped. Because those listening, they'd have expected Jesus to start talking about how amazing this messianic banquet's going to be. All this feasting, all this rejoicing. And yet Jesus starts talking about how all these people who've been invited to it start making excuses as to why they can't go. And so what happens? Well, the servant is sent out to others in the streets and alleys of the town. At the end of verse 21, the poor outcasts of Jewish society, again into the roads and country lanes outside of the town in verse 23, which in Jesus' context would have been the the Gentiles, the non-Jewish outsiders. And what I'd love you to note is this. Just look at verse 21. Why doesn't Jesus say, invite the poor and the crippled? He doesn't say that, but he says, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And do you know why? In verse 23, look there. Jesus doesn't say, in verse 23, right at the bottom, he doesn't say, invite those in the roads and the country lanes to come in. But he says, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And he says that because these guests could not repay him for the invite. They were poor. They had no homes. There was nothing of benefit to him in inviting these people to the feast. They didn't expect to receive this invitation. They wouldn't dare to have responded to an invitation. They'd have said, we're not worthy to be invited to this massive party. They needed to be brought in. They needed to be compelled in. You see, hospitality is not about expecting repayment. It's always costly. And it is no more so than with Jesus, the ultimate hospitable host. The only way that we could be brought into the hospitality of heaven is if he was sent out. The only way that we could be compelled in is if he was propelled out. He was propelled out of his home of heaven to earth, and it was so costly, he gave up his life unto death on a cross so that we could all be invited. And so that means this for all of us. Whoever we are, actually the most important question in this passage this morning for all of us Even more important questions than whether you or I are a hospitable host or not. The most important question is this. Are you, am I, Jesus' humble guest? That is the question that you and I need to hold on to this morning. Are we Jesus' humble guest? Jesus Christ, he is speaking this parable to people back then who thought they were okay in religious terms. They were people like many of us. They thought they were okay. People who on the outside, they seemed so full of praise to God, like many of us. But when push comes to shove, as Jesus examines their heart, they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord. They, that he isn't their top priority. Whether it's the call of work, verse 18, or possessions, verse 19, or relationships, verse 20. Other things have a greater call on these people's life than this invitation to the heavenly banquet. I don't know if you've seen the film, um, The Devil Wears Prada. But basically, the whole film is about Andy, Andrea, um, played by Anne Hathaway, uh, who is the personal assistant for Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep. And basically, Miranda Priestley is this sort of power woman uh, in the fashion industry. And the whole idea of the film is that Andrea, the the personal assistant, from being this very down-to-earth kind of girl, uh, she gets 
sucked in to all the glamour and the glitz and the power and the ambition of the fashion world, hence the title, The Devil Wears Prada. And in the middle of the film, there's a, a poignant scene where Andrea is talking to her boyfriend because all of her time is being taken up with her work. And there they both are in the film. They're, they're standing outside this restaurant at night, and they're standing in the road, and he complains to her about how she's just um, missed his birthday, how she's constantly late for all their dates, how she never sees him anymore. And he says this to her, and she replies. She says, Nate, Nate, I didn't have a choice. And he looks at her as if to say, of course you had a choice. And then her mobile phone goes, and it's her boss, Miranda Priestley, wanting something. And there she is, the phone is ringing, and she is faced with a choice to answer the phone or not. She's at 11 p.m. outside the restaurant in the dark with her boyfriend. Her boss is phoning her. Does she answer the phone or not? And she says, I'm sorry, Nate. And she goes to answer the phone. And as she does that, Nate, the boyfriend, says this. He says, the person whose calls you always take, that's the relationship you are in. I hope you two are very happy together. And with that, he walks off. You see, for Andrea in the film, her career was the calls that she always took. Her career was the biggest influence on her and the decisions that she made in her life. And I reckon this morning that the challenge for us is to determine whose calls is it that we always take. Is it God's call inviting us to the heavenly banquet? Or is it the call of work? I've just bought a field. Please excuse me. Is it the call of possessions? I've just bought five oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Is it the call of relationships? I've just got married. I can't come. The person whose calls you always take, that's the relationship you are in. But in the middle of the challenge, and it is a challenge, whose calls do we take? There is a huge comfort too. Because perhaps as we hear that, we recognize God isn't always top of my priorities. I'm so far from him. I'm so full of sin. I don't deserve to be at the heavenly banquet. And we're right. We don't deserve it. And yet, if that's the case, if we recognize that, Jesus will make us come in. Jesus will compel us as we trust in him and all that he has done for us on the cross. You see, this is the truth. The whole of this life is so much more like that earthly banquet. The whole of this life is so often, we see it all around, we do it ourselves, people pushing to, for the place of honor. That is what this life so often is characterized by. But Jesus Christ, he wants you and me to live out the values of the heavenly banquet now on earth. Jesus Christ wants you and me to live out that humility and that hospitality. And he wants us to live those two things out, not just because they are nice qualities, which they are, but he wants us to live out humility and hospitality because they remind us and they remind other people of what the heavenly banquet is all about. It's about utter humility. 
utter humility for us, knowing that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn our way to the heavenly banquet. Utter humility. And yet also utter hospitality. Utter hospitality from God. Inviting you and me who are rebels who can't ever repay his love and generosity to us. Still, God, in his utter hospitality, inviting us all the same. Utter humility and utter hospitality.